0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast team, team, team by Team Preview Edition NFC. I'm still getting used to the new show, but I'm Ian Hart, so you guys already know how it is. And joining me, as he always will, on Wednesdays throughout the season, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just recorded AFC. Now NFC's here. It's a great day. to be great, my friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got through that. You know, we get all the news, all the news you need, quick bits, immediately, accessible. And for this preview of... Uh, uh, the, the convenient part here is we only have to review 15 teams. We don't even have to review one team. <laughs> Do you know what team that is by any chance? I,
0: I think, judging by our pre pod convo, uh, the Chicago Bears really fun. I mean, that. we
1: really don't need to talk about Chicago. I, I'm not even being like, <laughs> facetious or sarcastic here. Like, legitimately, it's negative expected value every word that we spend on them. But if we want to, maybe, maybe we'll talk about it, just why we shouldn't talk about it. We've Shout already out. talked about it, I guess. Now that I think about it, we're already talking about them. I'm really messing this up. Anyway, great intro here. Let, let's, keep, let's keep it going.
0: Shout out to at no expert FF who noted for all Twitter to see that Justin Fields, the Bears starting quarterback, ranks 33rd in pass attempts this year, Kevin. And uh, if you mm-hmm. didn't know. Actually, 32 teams uh, in the NFL, so pretty interesting to see there. But, yes, as we did uh, with AFC, we're going through each and every team. Going to give some real-life thoughts for getting into their week three matchup, a few fantasy notes, and get on with our day. So thanks so much for tuning in. And with that, let's start with the juggernaut Philadelphia Eagles sitting at 2-0 and atop the NFC East. I will say, Kevin, because that so Jalen Hurts performance on Monday night was fantastic and stuff. It was the most dominant 24-point effort I've ever seen. And I mean that as like a backhanded compliment. Like, how they only they didn't score in the second half. Now, maybe I might have had one of my, my home fantasy league. I lost by five points with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and Miles Sanders out there. So, maybe I'm a little bit bitter there. But are we maybe, man, like, do you really think that Jalen Hurts is going to keep this up and be a Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson-level producer?
1: Or did we see a really hot two weeks to start the season? I mean, I think he's going to be a a really good producer going forward. The things that give me hope, uh, there's going to be a regression in some of the efficiency sort of stuff. But one thing more than anything else that gives me hope as far as the passing game and Jalen Hurts and his upside uh, this season is while they're still low, they're 22nd in team pass attempts this year, they've been winning. They've been a pretty dominant team. So they're 12th in pass rate versus expectation. They were 28th last year. So if that continues... That has a lot more room, a lot more spread, a lot more um, breath for everyone there that can get in and, and get some production this year. So for that reason, I think Jalen Hurts can continue to be solidly in that top five. Maybe not number one overall, not you know toppling Josh Allen and taking the throne, but he's going to be right up there all season.
0: And that pass, I think he said it was 28th over the course of the season last year. But, man, after, like, they had that rough first six weeks and then right. they got in their win streak, they were, like, dead last by far. So just the fact that we're, again, uh, not – we're not dealing with dead last anymore. We're dealing with an actually balanced offense, if not, you know, leaning towards the pass uh, during some weeks. Great to see for Hertz and this entire passing game. And Hertz's uh, credit, you know, I looked at just the most efficient quarterbacks to every depth of the field in terms of yards per attempt. Passes behind the line of scrimmage. Shout out Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay, making that work. If you if you go back to 2017, man, easily the top two offenses in terms of yards per attempt, behind the line of scrimmage, the Rams and the 49ers. Love when those things make sense. One to nine yards downfield, Jalen Hurts leads the way. So he is getting some, you know, love from guys like A.J. Brown, Kenneth or. Not Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Gamewell was busting off some good screens. Shout out Derek Carr being the most efficient passer in the 10 to 19-yard bucket. But number one, yards per attempt, throwing 20-plus yards downfield, that is Jalen Hurts. And he also just leads overall. So at this point, Jalen Hurts, it looks pretty out there, man. Like It's it's basically like a right-handed Tua out there. So I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to have people ever crowning Jalen Hurts as like an elite pocket passer. But at the end of the day, style points don't matter. We'll take those yards any way we can get. You're starting Hurts. You're starting A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith, I think, you know, continuing to be in that wide receiver three weekly discussion. What do you think about Miles Sanders? Someone that we can look up at after any given week And we see he's probably going to be between 15 and 20 carries and targets. Unfortunately, Boston Scott not going anywhere. Kenneth Gamewell not going anywhere. And as nice as it was for Jalen Hurts to let Miles Sanders get that goal line touchdown in week one, still uh, tough to expect him to get too many more of those. So, Miles Sanders, is he someone that you think, like, we're going to look up in week eight and just be like, damn, that was the dead zone running back to get? Or are we just seeing him get some nice game script-induced volume to start the year?
1: Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. He's probably someone you're going to want to start as a back RB2. And sometimes, I mean, maybe he'll end up being more like a high-end RB3. He's just not going to be someone that you're, you know, fist pumping about as he goes on and wins your league this year. But I will, everything's, you know, it's like a parade in Philadelphia and everyone's excited about this team and everything else. You know, I do think there'll be a little bit of a regression in, in efficiency. And I guess from... The negative from a fantasy perspective is you have AJ Brown, who we saw go off in week one. We didn't know what was going to happen this week. Uh, that was enabled somewhat by the fact that Devontae Smith had a bagel in, in, you know, zero in catches in week one. Now he comes back and he's productive. I think Dallas Goddard is kind of might be the most consistent guy as far as he's always going to have some sort of production. With those three guys, it is. Maybe a little bit disappointing if you have A.J. Brown Then now you're going to say, you know, we can't count on these monster games weekend and week out from A.J. Brown that we can for some of those top, top guys. And even when you mentioned Miami as a comp here, I mean, I'd be more confident that you're going to have consistent production from either Waddle or Tyreek yeah. Hill than A.J. Brown in this offense. So that's a little bit of the disappointing part here.
0: There's not that third wheel in Miami that's demanding targets the same way that they have Goddard stealing. And it doesn't Lewis run. Two. And well, Tua doesn't
1: run also. So, yeah. Mm-hmm another
0: very good point Philly this week in Washington favored by six and a half points on the road game total at 47 and a half. Let's go ahead and you know, the giants are two and oh. we'll talk about them in a minute, but just kind of sticking on this matchup. Let's go to the one and one Washington commanders fairy tale start to the season for Carson Wentz. Everyone left him off for dead. He is putting up numbers. The fantasy managers, the streamers out there are absolutely loving it. And now he gets a chance to ex- enact some revenge upon an Eagles fan base. that, like, man, like I- why hate Carson Wentz? I don't I don't know, man. I guess he disappointed after he was really good, but I, I just think there are such like worse people in the NFL to really get fussed up about, but whatever, I'll save that for another day. But this is just a really fun revenge game, Kevin. You know, I was tweeting out the uh, video of, you know, when Dean Pritchard meets back up with Vince Vaughn and Luke Wilson in old school, and they're like, Oh geez, didn't we throw you in a dumpster one time? It's just Carson Wentz going, yeah, I got out. So it's, One of these things where, yeah, I do think the Eagles run away with it, but it would be just, again, the cherry on top of this kind of start the season for Carson Wentz to get that win over his old squad. Do you think what we've seen from Wentz in this passing game in weeks one through two, sign of things to come, or just the high that we have seen occasionally from Wentz and now will probably inevitably get to get the lows?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll regress a bit, but it has potential, right? It has potential and has potential above someone like a Taylor Heineke would have had in that offense. I mean, it's really shocking, though, because Curtis Samuel, we got to talk about Curtis Samuel here because... I don't know. I think he's like the top receiver on this team the rest of the year, potentially from a fantasy perspective. He's just getting so many easy targets, so many short dot targets, so many manufactured targets. And I love Terry McLaurin, but he's, you know, his 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 ADOT is well over, I think, 13, 14, 15 yards. Same thing when we're talking about Jahan Dodson, who's really been touchdown reliant. He's not going to be a sort of guy. Could it be possible? that Curtis Samuel is the most reliable receiver. Not saying he has super upside. McLaurin probably still has more upside, but I don't know. We've seen two weeks now, so I think we should have some confidence that this form of offense will continue going forward
0: can we like check the breakfast narrative with Scott Turner and Curtis Samuel like these two I feel like are just a match made in heaven here we saw the 2020 season with the Panthers and yeah to your point like Curtis he's got the three yard average target depth which you can say is like gadgety and all that well great if we're getting skein touches for the guy all damn game week after week after week we'll take that I mean Terry McLaurin isn't the one getting the lineup in the backfield and getting matched up on a D end on a wheel that's Curtis Samuel Curtis Samuel's getting the design throwback screens all that good stuff so I think the booms for terry will be bigger but especially this week man expecting him to see you know all sorts of darius slay they had that shadow matchup going in both matchups last year I'm not saying terry can't win he's not something we need to sit by any stretch but at a minimum definitely going to see that disparity in the rankings continue to shrink if curtis keeps on keeping on so for now, still, you know, hey, everyone's going off. It's a good time. would note that this, again, has been a particular high in the Carson Wentz experience. I mean, 2016 through 2021, so the first, what, six years of Wentz's career, he only had four games with 300-plus passing yards and at least three passing touchdowns. He's already done that twice this year. So maybe we're just going to keep seeing it, man, but also could come back crashing to earth just a bit. Again, should be a fun NFC East matchup, East matchup there against the Eagles. The other NFC East matchup is going to be the Giants and Cowboys at Monday Monday night football game is not as fun. fun. What the hell are we doing here? We got the Steelers and the Browns on Thursday night and Cowboys giants on Monday night. Even if Dak was playing, that's still an ugly game, but I guess Cowboys are always going to be getting those primetime slots. Giants favored by two points. Daniel Jones, a two point favorite in primetime. Why the hell not? 39 and a half point game total. Let's start off with the two and O giants. You look at the teams that are undefeated, Kevin, the bills, the dolphins, the chiefs, the Eagles, the Buccaneers and the Giants. Like, this is like that. Me, I don't want to bring up a meme every single time I talk about anything, but it's like all the police officers or the army guys and the one clown there. Like, come on, this is a fraudulent two and O team if there ever was one.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Uh, yeah, I went after Giants fans and got piled on a little bit. I'm surprised they even had the heart, honestly, to come after <laughs> me because I I, didn't come, I said they're in the conversation for the worst two and O team in a long time. I didn't mean, said in a long time, I didn't even say ever. I know they're not the worst ever. Uh, But they had two games where they probably should have, could have lost both games outside of a couple of very long Saquon Barkley runs. They haven't done a whole lot. And they're also been very reliant upon last week, the Panthers and Baker Mayfield just being bad uh in order to end up winning that game. So there's just not a lot of excitement, there's not a lot of upside and I know we're getting a lot of vibes talk with what Brian is bringing to the team everything else. I mean that could flip around pretty quickly because I just I still don't think anyone's excited about Daniel Jones and that was the one thing that you would have hoped to have seen if you were thinking that Dable was going to come and revolutionize the offense and turn things around and work his magic. You haven't seen any of that. You do have, you have seen two victories, but you haven't seen any of the stuff that you were hoping would lead to those victories.
0: Yeah, Daniel Jones, they had the touchdown drive last week. I think he actually, on that drive, I remember being kind of impressed now the bar is very low uh you know when you're watching kind of Daniel Jones out there but made a couple nails throws but then the next drive I think uh he missed Sterling Shepard on a potential 80 yard house call so quickly went back to hating on DJ and unfortunately that could be a reality with Sterling Shepard so at this point especially with Kadarius Tony again not practicing on Wednesday with the hamstring Shepard's the only pass catcher to even think about with that said he's still not someone we need to force in the lineups by any stretch this week he's my wide receiver 38 ahead of guys like you know Jacoby Myers and Traylon Burks, Robert Woods, but still behind Josh Palmer, you know, Elijah Moore, Curtis Samuel types of the world, obviously continue to go back to well with Saquon Barkley, only three running backs with a snap rate above 80% last week, McCaffrey, Fournette and Saquon way too much volume to bust. And obviously he has looked fantastic, particularly in week one, moving on over to the Cowboys here. Nice bounce back week two. I thought it was like just uh, everyone gave up on the Cowboys after week one. They somehow pulled out, win out of their ass in week two with, you know, many things, I think, going to Michael Parsons and even Trayvon Diggs in that defense. You know, what they were able to do against the Bengals deserves a lot of credit, but What about Kellen Moore, Kevin, because he went from leading the NFL's number one ranked scoring offense last season, being someone that, you know, was in a lot of conversations for should he go be this team's head coach or this team's head coach. Then he has the ill-fated QB draw call against the 49ers. Week one, that Cowboys offense looked horrendous even before Dak got injured. Pulls out the week two win, but, you know, wasn't exactly a pristine offense performance. Do you think Kellen Moore is overrated or underrated at this point? And I guess what are your expectations for Cooper Rush in this offense accordingly?
1: Yeah, I I think it's hard to call him either. I mean, I think two years ago when he was a darling head coach candidate, probably overrated. um, It is a little bit weird to me, though, because I think the shine started to fall off of more a bit – in the end of last year, a lot of people started to get on him. I think in particular it's people who are fans of Dak. And when Dak is struggling, then they're going to look at the offensive coordinator and see it might have been the problem there. I mean, I think they're just they don't have anyone to throw the ball to. That's the problem. So it's really hard for any offensive coordinator to say how we're going to scheme things up at this point, especially now in this exact formation. We're talking about Cooper Rush throwing to who they have available to throw it to. It's no more
0: it's really no, some hard work. Kevin, there's no more Dennis Houston. Dennis Houston's out of the picture now. What
1: are we going to do? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't have to, I don't have to look them up and figure out who it is uh, anymore over there. So maybe, maybe that's a good thing, but let's it: this Dallas Cowboys team has been even last year and it continues to be this year, a defensive football team. This is a legitimate top five defense in the NFL. We just haven't thought about them in that way. in so long that I still don't think people can wrap their heads around it. Despite the fact that we have a lot of evidence now that that is the way that they play and it's just not going to be an explosive offense to go along with it.
0: God, if they hadn't botched that whole Randy Gregory thing this offseason, too, they would have been even deeper on the defensive line. Healthier Demarcus Lawrence is obviously helping. And we've seen good early returns there. But yeah, I don't know. More than just Parsons, maybe you just don't even need it. At this point on offense, though, CeeDee Lamb is the only real must start. And obviously, there might even be teams that don't. I have seen some of you, you throw, you know, like five freaking top 12 wide receivers at me. So, CeeDee for me, again, I have him right next to Terry McLaurin and Brandon Cooks. And Wentz is obviously playing pretty well but McLaurin's got a little more target competition on the table. But if you just want to take a CD Lamb like Brandon Cooks, you know, I don't think that's too far off while Dak remains sidelined. Unfortunately, like Zeke, in my opinion, isn't a must-start. Tony Pollard, I just mentioned Dennis Houston. In weeks one through two, after another offseason of Tony Pollard, a wide receiver, Tony Pollard played two. Two more snaps in Dennis Houston in weeks one through two. That's how you get your best players on the field, apparently. CD, again, I think the only real must start because this Cowboys offense, we talked about in the AFC uh, pod a bit, Kevin, when I was referencing the Patriots, 29th in scoring. Last year, they were sixth. Cowboys, again, we're expecting them to be a pretty terrible offense without Dak. So does Vegas. Looking at their implied team total, which you can just generate from, you know, taking the spread and the game total to see what Vegas is thinking for both teams. The le- lowest implied offense this week is the Steelers at 17 points. Then the Panthers at 18.75. Then the Cowboys and Texans at just 19 points. So I don't think people are thinking of the Cowboys as a defensive team. And we need to quickly adjust our opinions here with Cooper Rush. This is a bottom five offense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Um, the If you want to position yourself now for when Dak comes back, if you think Dak may be back, I mean, Noah Brown might be usable, especially during bye weeks and things like that going forward. So that would be my only other note. I was, I mean, we, we know we've rehashed and hashed and hashed again and rehashed again everything with the backfield and CeeDee Lamb and everything else. And eh, You know, whatever. If, if you can just stash Noah Brown or think about when you might want to add him in a couple of weeks, that's a possibility for someone to fill in.
0: Michael Gallup still seeming like he's going to be a week or two away from actually being able to be used. Now, he is expecting to see, quote unquote, some snaps versus the Giants. But whenever we're getting that, like they're already telling us he's going to be limited coming back.
1: Wait yeah, a week. It's, it's, these midseason ones, I don't yeah. think you can rely upon him to to do anything. This this probably this entire season, but we'll see.
0: At a minimum, week three. All right, let's move on to the NFC North here. The one and one Vikings on on the top, but every single team in this division is one and one at this point. So early thoughts on the Kevin O'Connell offense, Kevin, because looking at it, you know, for me, the big takeaways were not Justin Jefferson, the Cooper Cup role as big as the week one was. We've seen many big weeks from Justin Jefferson, put him anywhere on the field. I think he's going to put up big numbers. Irv Smith, for me, was going to be the big deal, getting the Tyler Higbee full-time role. Coming off the thumb injury, you know, we've seen his snaps increase, Dropped the long touchdown uh, Monday night. That would have been a lot cooler, but he is on the up and up, and K.J. Osborne has been there a little more. But otherwise, Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell, you buying this group the rest of the season or just a little shaky?
1: I mean, the uh, this is going to also hint at what I was saying about the Miami offense and things that I feel confident about pass rate over expectation. Uh, 2019 they were 32nd 2020 27th 2021 up to 18th this season sixth eight percent over expectation so i mean no matter how it works no matter where the regression goes no matter how they're scheming and doing all this stuff schematic stuff that i don't understand uh, i do understand more passes means more chances to score fantasy points through the air so that i like the one issue
0: for Cousins, really over the years, has been dealing with pressure. And I, I know every single quarterback is worse under pressure. But just last year, when he looked at a quarterback's yards per attempt when kept clean versus when under pressure, only Jameis actually had a higher uh, drop off in terms of just being worse under pressure. So, with that in mind, you know, I one of the things I like to do in my quarterback articles just take the you know the biggest differences. And an offense's pressure rate versus the defensive lines, you know, pressure rate generated. And so far, man, this year, like it's popping as the worst matchup of the week for Kirk Cousins because the Vikings are 29th in pressure rate, 41% allowed. This has been a kind of a constant with Cousins at the Vikings zone. I remember in our PFF offensive line rankings, while the O line wasn't the highest, uh, you know, in the league or anything like that, I think they were 16th or 18th. Mike Renner did note that this could low key be the best offensive line of Kirk Cousins' career early thoughts on if that's been improving or if you have a thought in general about, you know, Cousins and this pressure and if it's more so on him or maybe the offensive line.
1: I mean, I think it's 50-50. You'd expect that the Packers would have been able to pressure him and they really weren't able to do so much, but the Eagles did get that interior pressure, which I think is a little bit more difficult for the pocket passer types like Cousins. Uh, I mean, but th- this week, you know, Detroit, let's let giddy up. You know, I think it's I, th- I think I think it's pretty good. Maybe there'll be some game script issues, but we've seen on the other side of the ball. I, we'll, we'll talk about Detroit. Obviously, we'll talk about Detroit pretty soon. They've been a high scoring team. I'm a little bit less confident that that will continue. I think Minnesota going to get back on track this week.
0: Like that call, yes. This week at home against the Lions, six point favorites. Game total at fifty three and a half. I mentioned Irv Smith. His usage is three and, the- and a half
1: for Viking for golf. Uh, cousins okay let's go i
0: think that's the i think that's the single highest one of the week it sure is great day to be great and score some points over there love that okay tied with the bills and dolphins that makes sense either way tied with josh allen and tua how about that what a world Irv smith my tight end 15 i still want to see that full-time role but he's on the right track don't freak out too much over that one drop it has been good to see them lean on him as much as they have what about adam Thielen, kevin for me He's the type of guy I don't want to worry too much about because he's out there all the time. He's still running all the routes. And to your point, like if the passing game is having more volume, Adam Thielen is someone where maybe people are ready to actually sell on the guy because it's only a matter of time that he starts scoring touchdowns again.
1: Come on now. Yeah, he's fine. Like, I think he's just fine. You know, you're getting what you probably would have hoped for him. I don't think anything, anyone was going to get him and, and assume that they were going to get super high in play. Maybe you're going to hope for a little bit more in the touchdown department, that that would have been sustainable, not the levels we've seen at, at certain times where he's been through the roof, but more than what you would have expected. I think he's fine. And, we, and again, rising tide lifts all boats. Okay. This passing offense seems to be part of that. So you're happy you have him. He's not winning a league for you, but you're you're fine to put him into the lineup
0: we'll get back to the second place Packers just a second and stick with this game here the Lions also a one and one again you know Kevin this podcast believes in one God his name is Amon Ra St. Brown the sun God himself can't be stopped at this point I said last week that you know hey how long until we just start treating Amon Ra as an every week wide receiver one for me that was last week and it continues here he's my wide receiver nine on the week Full PPR scoring needs to be in each and every lineup at this point, just the way they're using him. He is turning into a cheat code. We also have DeAndre Swift doing his thing, even though he was banged up last week, just making one explosive play after another. Now back-to-back games with a 50-plus yard rush. So, And this Lions offense, The question, Kevin, is TJ Hawkinson now just the odd man out? Because four catches 38 yards in week one, three catches 26 yards in week two. We kept asking, what's Amon Ra going to do when Swift and Hawkinson are back? And then it's been, oh, Amon Ra is going to keep on keeping on. Swift keeps on keeping on. Is this life for TJ Hawkinson in this offense?
1: I think he can get a little bit better because he is not produced as well as you would have hoped for with the targets that he's had he is tight end eight when it comes to expected fantasy points but he is about 10 points under expectation which is in exact opposition to what we've seen with swift who is the second ranked player behind stefan diggs as far as points over expectation so far this year and amon Ra st brown is also in the top 15 20 in over expectation so he's been the guy who's left out there is that a talent issue Maybe maybe to a degree it is, but he's been used enough where you would have expected some more production here. He's not going to be a top half tight end one probably, but I think he's still someone who's a back half uh, tight end one. I
0: was uh, appearing on this lovely Bleacher Report stream I do uh, every week yesterday. I got some start sick questions, and unironically, someone asked me Jared Goff versus Tom Brady, and I I, I scoffed at it live, but – Man, it it is one of those things. You look at the fantasy points after two weeks. Jared Goff is the QB nine and even expected points. He's also the QB nine. Now he's right there alongside Joe Flacco in the same thing. And to your previous point, Kevin, about uh, uh, who we talking about before, uh, just uh, Derek Carr in the AFC pod. Like you know, we've seen enough of this guy. I don't think Jared Goff is taking. You know, I don't think he's going to be parting like it's Sean McVay calling the plays again. But there are a lot of weapons in this offense. DJ Chark has shown the ability to get open. Jameson Williams will be there down the stretch. Do you think Jared Goff could consistently be more so in that Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr tier more so than we saw last year?
1: Derek Carr, maybe, but not Kirk (laughs) Cousins, not Kirk Cousins for me. And, you know, we talked about like the expected fantasy point stuff again, which is relying upon usage. It's either target location for the receivers or it's I guess I guess it's your throw location for for quarterbacks. It's the least reliable and in my opinion the least useful statistic is for quarterbacks okay. because a good quarterback is going to sustain the higher efficiency and a bad quarterback can sometimes via volume and via playing from behind put up a higher number there. Goff is fine if you're starting him in fantasy in a one quarterback league, you're it's not good. It's not good. That, that that's all I'm going to say. Um he is not I much I feel much 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 better about having Kirk Cousins than I would about Goff.
0: Let's talk about the Packers a little bit, you know, relaxed, got back on track in week two, dominant home win over the Bears and Aaron Jones this season. I, uh, I tweet out a graph every week where I just I don't even have nephews are Kevin get that you can still do graphs in Excel these days. Uh, if you really set your mind to it and just want to save hours off your life. But looking at, you know, the running backs, I take the yards after contact per carry on one axis and the missed tackles forced on the other one. Top right, you can usually see just the running backs that have been winning the most, you know, and the closest things we can measure for true one-on-one situations. And Aaron Jones, like, it's not going to sustain, but holy shit, he's breaking a tackle on, like, 0.6, uh, like, 0.6 missed tackles forced per carry. His yards after contact, are, like, he has just easily been the most efficient running back of uh, the season. And, yeah, it, you know, it will regress at some point because how can you be that freaking good time after time again? But I do think through two weeks – even if they're probably not going to be as good in week two. And this is a much tougher matchup coming up in Tampa Bay here. Buccaneers 1.5 point favorites. We talked about crazy over-unders, you know, in a good news, like for the Lions and Vikings. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, the game total, 41 and a half right now. But with that said, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, do we just throw both these guys now in starting lineups every single week and forget about it? Because that's kind of my big takeaway from the first two weeks of the post-Devante Adams Packers offense.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say forget about it. I think you throw them in. I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little concerned about this offense, honestly, because I know that they got on track against perhaps the worst team in the NFL with Aaron Jones running for nine yards per carry. So, is this the formula for the offense the rest of the the season? I don't know. I don't know who the, who's gonna who Aaron Rodgers is gonna throw it to. And I know that like Devontae Adams leaving there and MVS leaving there. You could say, oh, well, Kansas City, they lost Tyreek Hill. Well, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. They drafted a receiver that they're not even using. So it shows you how they, they yeah. feel pretty good about the other guys that that they have there. They brought in MVS to play there. They had McCole who who's at least around and is a young guy and is not Randall Cobb or someone like that. You're going to hope that Alan Lazard is going to provide something when you need him going forward. But I don't know. Question marks abound for me, for this offense and for 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 our betting people out there. I'm a little surprised that the Bucks, at least the last time I checked, maybe it's gone up to three or only two and a half point favorites in this game. Quite honestly, I think there's just a lot fewer question marks about them right now, despite the fact that they're having a little bit of a struggle to start the season
0: well at least I mean I, I think you could argue the Buccaneers are more so playing like we thought the Packers would because the Buccaneers defense looks incredible so far yeah. through two weeks they've been leaning more so on the run game with Leonard Fournette and Brady just being more of a game manager now I know just having all those wide receiver injuries I think that's probably just been what they've had to do but I do think it's a fair point to not be completely sold on the Packers offense
1: just yet well, and their defense right I mean they got they got they got crushed by Minnesota yeah. and then congratulations you handed it to uh the, the Bears we just don't know I'm not saying we should assume they're not good, but we shouldn't necessarily assume they are elite, which I think is kind of the assumption or or near elite, both offensively and defensively.
0: I mean, I don't love them giving up 160 rushing yards to Montgomery and Khalil Herbert on 19 carries when they knew Justin Fields wasn't going to be passing. And then week one, yeah. they couldn't come close to stopping Justin Jefferson. So real potential causes for concern for the Packers, you know, in real life, what do you make of Alan Lazard coming back though? He was out there, you know, being used as a defensive number one, unfortunately, man, it was just a game where Sammy Watkins had four targets and that was the most on the team. So, I do think Lazard is going to be the number one more weeks than not, but do you think it's going to be big enough to kind of push him into that wide receiver two territory, or do you still view him as more so this wide receiver three, wide receiver four that you're throwing in the flex some weeks and some weeks are not?
1: I mean, I feel better about him potentially being a wide receiver, too, than I did this offseason. When it comes to wide receivers, when we talk about the talent base of the position, where normally there's a ceiling to how many targets you can get, no matter who's around you. Like, he, that, was the whole, that was the whole case on Amon Ross St. Brown last year. You say, oh, well, he, he got all these targets because everyone was dead. It's just like, no, if you're not a good receiver, you will not be targeted at that sort of level, no matter who else is there. It'll just spread out amongst everyone. So I thought that was kind of the case with Lazard. But man, there's no one else there. Like this is this is testing the extremes of a quarterback not wanting to throw to his his wide receiver. So for that reason, I'm a I'm gonna give him a little bit more of a chance that he might break the mold a bit of a receiver who's just able to get that volume because Aaron Rodgers does not want to throw it to these other guys. All of our hopes and dreams about you know Romeo Dobbs and everyone else, it just doesn't seem like it's gonna happen.
0: Lazard or Juju rest of the season. Uh it's a good question by me. It's a good question by me. It is a good question by you. Um,
1: I'm I'm going to bet on upside and say Lazard. If <laughs> you, know, that's I just feel like he could be the guy. He could be the guy there. And Juju, I'm just not very confident that it's going to be anything other than a spike week every now and again.
0: Week three ranks. I do have Lazard one spot ahead of Juju, and I do agree that I would chase that up because so, yeah, I, I don't. I think what we've seen from the Chiefs is probably what's going to happen. Juju's going to have some big days. So will Michael Hardman, maybe even Sky Moore at some point in MVS as well. With Lazard, he does still seem to have that chance to be the number one. And you know, l- lest we forget, we got Travis Kelsey doing his thing in Kansas City always as well. Final team here in division we want to talk about. Actually, no, we don't. Let's just move on to the NFC. Okay. Chicago Bears, one and one, facing the Texans this week. Three-point <laughs> three favorites, Kevin. The Chicago Bears in the year 2022 are favored by three points. Game total out of lowly 40 and a half. So, I mentioned the Fields pass attempt stat. Now, week one was in a monsoon. Week two... They just didn't run any plays, man. And when they did, you know, Fields was scrambling. He took three sacks, but just 11 pass attempts in a game where you lose by 17 points. I still struggle to wrap my mind around how that's even possible. So... If you're a if if you're Dave Montgomery manager, look, he played eighty percent of the snaps. You're probably going to get twenty combined carries and targets more weeks than not. You're just not getting the scoring upside. So Montgomery, yeah, you can put him in as a usage based low end RB two type. I he's like Zeke basically at this point in time with maybe a little bit more volume. What are your thoughts on Darnell Mooney, though, Kevin? He is someone that a lot of people are struggle bussing with. You know, Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet, basically, because yes, they are full-time players. Yes, there's no one else in Chicago to throw the ball to. As we're finding out though, when there's no one to throw the ball to, sometimes the ball just doesn't really get thrown to anyone. Unfortunately, that's included Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet so far.
1: Yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough out in these streets. With Equinemius Saint Brown is it's <laughs> looking
0: like the, just say all oh, oh, you gotta say is a Ron's brother.
1: That's what he yeah. that, is. Uh, is looking like good. <laughs> yeah, after week one, people are like Dante Pettis. Are we interested? <laughs> um, yeah, it's just rough out in these streets. So out in these Chicago's, the windy city streets. I, I would say. Mooney, I don't know. I don't think you. I mean, you just—it's really hard to start him right now, and I think it may be for the rest of the season. It was a little bit of a speculative play. You're you're betting on his talent, which I do think he has, and you were betting that the offense wouldn't be a dumpster fire. Uh, number two is looking like a very bad bet that you can already, you know, stop. Forget about counting your money. You can already write that off there as as being as being a bad bet. So I'm—I don't think you can do anything. Other than other than Montgomery, you can start them if you're ever going to start them, this would be the week this would be you're going to hope for the best result possible uh, with your actually favored because that's not going to happen very often if it ever for the rest of the season. That's
0: true. I mean, if you got Montgomery on your team and you're not starting him this week, wh- when are you going to be <laughs> starting him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, before we get to the NFC South, I want to quickly pay a few bills, give a shout out to some sponsors here. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports spending partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. And if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up, same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to with payouts bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL minimum age and eligibility or circuit apply. See show notes for details. This is not, you know, if you're Calvin Ridley, don't gamble on this. Just go get a sponsorship with MGM like Devontae Adams. Apparently that's okay to do. Yeah. Also really?
1: still, catch it still catching strays. <laughs> Poor guy. All right, go ahead. Continue.
0: That was actually, that was actually in the ad read, believe it or not. All right. No house <laughs> advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play and pick them contest versus other people for the shot at winning 250 K plus in cash, download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry. If you hit all your picks, that are up to five-player prop over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now at promo code PFF at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Talked about him briefly in that Packers matchup at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers atop the NFC South at 2-0. Again, absolutely dominant defense. With that said, they are going to be at less than 100% on offense this week. Chris Godwin seems like a multi-week hamstring injury. He wasn't even able to practice last week. Mike Evans' suspension got upheld. Dude just loves to hit Marshawn Lattimore, and you know it was funny seeing him after. It's Tom Brady, like, what do you want me to do?
1: Like, he needs an excuse to go to go <laughs> after Lattimore. The guy has been dreaming about it probably every <laughs> night for the last two years. Okay, go ahead.
0: Too funny, but basically, man, like with this Bucks offense, now we have Leonard Fournette. I, I mentioned that before him. Saquon McCaffrey, the only guys playing over 80% snaps. This is why I had Fournette ranked like RB7, RB8 throughout the offseason because I just think it's when you look at raw touches and even the scoring upside of the offense, it's really hard to get away from him. So we're starting Fournette, but with Tom Brady, Kevin, without the weapons, without that usual high passing volume that we're kind of used to, do you think Brady is a must start now without Goblin or Evans and maybe even Julio out of the picture?
1: I mean, I I guess I think he still is. The question for me, and maybe we'll get your opinion, because you're saying without that volume, yeah, if we know he's not going to have that volume. And again, this was either the first or second pass happiest team in the NFL last year, top five the year before. Tom Brady, you know, led the NFL in yards last year. Um, If we know that's going to continue, then I agree. So it's like, who are you betting on that Tom Brady who's I think he's slinging it. I think he still has a really good looking arm. I'm betting that he will still be the focal point of the offense. And I know no matter what Todd Bowles may want, maybe there's an issue here with the defensive coordinator coming in and being the head coach. I have, I have the feeling that he would win out. I think these two defenses that they played against again, Cowboys are a top, maybe even three defense. They're that good. Saints are a great defense Match up extremely well against this team. I don't know how much we can take from these first two games and project forward based upon that. And I'm going to look at Tom Brady's larger, you know, extremely large sample of of who he's been and how they operate their offense and assume that things are going to turn around with the fact that I think he's throwing the ball well. But the numbers are crazy. I mean, basically a little bit over 200 yards per game these first two weeks versus averaging about 325 per game last season, two total touchdowns versus two and a half per game last season. It has been a really, really bad first two weeks for Tom Brady.
0: And I think in a, everything you said about the defense is true. And also just these injuries. Why would they be keeping their foot on the gas in the passing game when they haven't needed to with how well their defense is playing? And even week one, you know, Goffman got hurt before halftime then they already had a lead. Why bother throwing the uh, ball all that much? Last two to lose Mike Evans, you know, halfway through. But yeah, I can't say enough good things about the arm. This is not like... Brady is not washed by any stretch of the imagination from what we've seen. Like if Scotty Miller had like a catch radius of like an actual normal size human being, I think Brady could have thrown for 300 yards last week. The touchdown. He's throwing dimes
1: to Brett Perryman. Right. So, I mean, this week will be, it'll it'll test things this week. Right. Evans suspension. We're talking about Goblin out Julio Jones. I mean, whatever his hamstrings can't be relied upon. Uh, We're getting to the point where we have that stick and we're poking Russell Gage and we're just saying, do something, please. Like, (laughs) please. The love of god do something because you could have asked for a better scenario for him to do something and he's not doing anything
0: And that's what i was going to bring up like if we are looking at evans and god went out maybe julio out If julio's yeah. in okay like maybe we can get back into that upside wide receiver three conversation but it's wild no tight these... end
1: no no one at tight end to worry about It's cole, just, yeah. cole
0: beasley's getting signed you know <laughs> yeah, gonna step stuff. Man. i do think i'm mean, engaged he is someone that's been on the injury report with the hamstring he hasn't yeah. looked you know 100 yeah. out there but yeah it, if you don't have any of these pass catchers in your starting lineup, I don't think you necessarily need to this week. Like Kevin, if Julio Jones is active, I would probably answer most start sit questions, uh, you know, that are somewhat close with him. But I'm not even that confident in Russell Gage getting like eight targets in this game.
1: No, no, I'm not either. I think you know Brady can use these other guys. He can use Perryman. He can use uh, Miller. He can use these other guys if he needs to. So you're right. If Julio Jones is, is playing though, I'm with you. I mean, 100, he's in. I think even this week, even though you think. Again, you think the Packers have a great defense. Even this week, things could turn around if the Packers are scoring points. We could see a more Brady-like effort this week, despite the wide receiver problems. I'm not putting it all on the wide wide receiver issues for why he's been slow so far this year. Every
0: week in my wide receiver column on pff.com, I go through the projected shadow matchups, and I have other notes for... The high name corners that people are like, Ian, w- what about this guy? You know, okay. I wrote out this guy. So quit bothering me about that. Same one line every single week for Jair Alexander. He hasn't had the shadow. He hasn't been asked the shadow since week seven, 2020. He's not going to do it this week. They don't use him in that. And honestly, when he used to shadow, didn't really go that well. Amari Cooper beat him for like 230 yards one time. Adam Thielen, some of the stuff he did to early career Jair Alexander, you know, not safe for work type shit. So no, he's not going to be out there. He's still a fantastic cornerback. I saw the, you know, the best highlight you can find against Jair Alexander is a route that Justin Jefferson ran, didn't even get targeted. So not Jair slander, but he's also not someone that's going to consistently track any single wide receiver. So all wheels up for Julio. Let's talk about the Saints, 1-1, one and, one, and Jameis is so freaking back, man. I, the, back, the back fractures suck. You mentioned before, though, more of a pain management thing, but this is peak Jameis, and I absolutely love it. This is another one of those teams where we weren't really sure what the pass rate was going to be. Last year when Jameis was under center, they were the most run-heavy team in football, just looking at non-garbage time pass play rates, but their number one receiver was freaking Marquez Callaway, so it kind of made sense that that's the route they went. Now, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry. All of a sudden, the Saints are slinging it at a legit top five rate. Jameis on the season, second highest average target depth. He's top five in big time throw rates. That means he's making these elite tight window throws as often as anybody. He's also bottom five in turnover worthy play rate, which means he's making the boneheaded mistakes that we love Jameis for. I love Jameis for, I guess, Saints and Buccaneers fans maybe don't, but red zone viewers do. He's also making those at, you know, a, top five most often rate in the league it's peak Jameis I'm a fan Kevin
1: yeah I am in the way that I'm not necessarily confident that the low pass volume will continue for Brady I'm not confident the high pass volume is going to continue for Jameis when you adjust it for expectation it's middling of the it's middling the pack we have to remember you know in that Falcons game they were way down You know, they were way down. Jameis had 200 and something yards in the fourth quarter when they had to come back in that game. Um, You know, another struggle session against against the Bucs where they felt like they might have had to have passed it. So, you know, they're not a dominant sort of team where they're just going to be able to grind out and run the ball all the time. But I think they might want to do that sometimes. So I would not bank on that type of volume. So when you can't bank on that type of volume and you have Olave getting a ton of somewhat empty air yards quite honestly i know the air yard models are going to love him but some of the stuff is like no that was not being completed you have Olave at least out there though in gathering air yards you have michael thomas you have jarvis landry out there you have camara in there i don't know i don't know how all these guys are going to get it it's going to be difficult i think to project who any particular week you can count on in this offense um because the defense looks good the defense looks good
0: yeah, can't – I mean, 320 carry yards for Chris Olave. The thing is, like, even if you take away, like, cut that in half and take away kind of the more prairie yards of the group. And yeah. we're still looking at someone who should have every chance to get downfield. Now, interestingly about this matchup, and again, I think specific wide receiver cornerback matchups can be a useful tiebreaker, not a rule of thumb by any stretch that we making your fancy decisions. But – The Panthers in week one, they had Dante Jackson that won the fastest players in the NFL, not match Amari Cooper. They put him on the field stretcher, Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I don't really know that this is maybe the week where Alave is going to get back because I'm not sure he can run by Dante Jackson. Famous last words. He'll probably go for 200 (laughs) yards now. But Michael Thomas, like, have we seen enough, Kevin? Are we back in the wide receiver one Michael Thomas train? Because... I've seen enough. I have him now as my wide receiver 11 on the week ahead of Sutton, Christian Kirk. Even if you don't want to go that far, I still think it's going to be awfully tough to keep him out of starting lineups moving forward.
1: Yeah, definitely with you on as far as tough to keep him out of starting lineups, I would still have him in the, you know, high wide receiver two sort of area for me because of these concerns I'm talking about. If it was, I'm not concerned about him. Like if he was out there and it was like the Drew Brees offense and they were, I knew for sure they were going to be passing a lot uh you know he'd he'd be right up there near the top just like he was before from the way he's looked to me it's just more everything combined together adds enough uncertainty where you can get he could be the top wide receiver of the entire week one week and then he could end up being a guy who gets you know three catches for 39 yards the next week it's a possibility at least where that wasn't even a possibility um with michael thomas before in the past
0: before it was Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Now it's Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jarvis Landry, and Chris Olave as well. We will see if Kamara is back this week. He was playing through that rib injury. Can't trust these running backs if Kamara is out again. They're using Tony Jones, Mark Ingram, you know, DeAndre, Dwayne Washington. I don't even freaking know is out there as well. Maybe Latavius Murray gets elevated this week. So can't trust the backups. And honestly, with Kamara. If he plays, yeah, you got to start him. But I do think treating him as more so, you know, upside RB2 type, just while we're wondering if he could be limited, is fair enough there. So, and also for the love of God, don't start Taysom Hill. I got, again, like 10 start sick questions last week about <laughs> Taysom Hill. No, the guy played six snaps this week. He's going to get a couple rush attempts. When he busts one of them for 60 yards and runs for the 20 yard touchdown, yeah, it's going to be a good day. Those aren't the types of things we can be betting on at tight end.
1: I need Dwayne Washington to bust out. I think I have a take floating around from like 2017. <laughs> when he was on the when he was on the Lions that he was gonna that he was gonna break out. Of course, that never happened.
0: No, no take is ever wrong if you extend the timeline. Exactly. Long enough.
1: That's what I've uh, that's what I've learned.
0: All right, the 0 and 2 Carolina Panthers. Kevin, is Matt Rule gonna be the first coach fired? What the hell are we doing here at this point?
1: Yeah, he's in his own category. If you're looking <laughs> at the first coach to get fired, there's just Rule and everyone else. He might not make it. <laughs> Matt Rule
0: Field, is it really that? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, the problem is they keep extending all these dudes. Like, the other dudes, you know, Kingsbury would be a potential, right? I think Zach Taylor would even be sneaky potential. He got extended, though. Like, these teams, they always extend dudes – after their most improbable successful season, <laughs> then they give him the extension. So, so he got so he got extended. He would be another guy. I mean, who else is out there? I like guys like Ron Rivera as a maybe a guy that would eventually, if they don't make the playoffs, but not in season. Rule is the in season guy who's going to go down because other than Nathaniel Hackett, if they decide that they just need to pull the plug on that, which seems very unlikely, he's the guy. Uh, and you know, for for David Tepper, the owner there. Uh, He could go searching in his couches and find the rest of that contract money that needs to be paid out. It's not going to be a big deal for him.
0: Baker Mayfield underwhelming of week two and large parts of week one had a nice little comeback effort there again against the Browns and that revenge game would say you know something named shy Smith dropped a touchdown from
1: Baker last week hey, and hey don't, don't slander shy Smith like I,
0: I, I was just going to say this is another player that you know everyone's favorite 2021 breakout Terrence Marshall just inexplicably can't beat out Richard Higgins too you know freaking Brandon Zilstra was there last year Kevin like my goodness man I, I'm not sitting here and saying I thought Terrence Marshall was going to be a got or anything but this is just the amount of it's like lavisca chenault territory with the amount of like random ass players that are now working ahead of the guy so shy smith uh, slander aside let's talk about the wide receivers that matter or are supposed to matter in carolina dj moore did get a usable performance last week you know he had a nice double move to get a deep ball and score a touchdown later same drive but just 12 targets over the last two weeks do you think this is ever going to really extend where dj is going to be the feature guy over robbie anderson because We've now seen these guys with three different quarterbacks and two of them so far have been prioritizing Robbie over DJ.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's... I think it's maybe a Baker issue more than anything else. I mean, we haven't seen like... He hasn't had a lot of great wide receivers, even when he had Odell, though. Um, but you know, Jarvis Landry had some stretches where he looked pretty good. And so if you think about Jarvis Landry, maybe that's why someone like Shai Smith is getting some is getting some some targets over the middle. Maybe that fits into just what Baker likes to do a little bit more than DJ Moore. So I'm worried. I'm worried about DJ Moore. I wasn't after week one. And it comes, it becomes one of those things where I think there's Probably I. I was victim of this. Everyone was victim of this in the off season. Is saying Baker has to be an upgrade. So like Baker has to be an upgrade in terms of giving your team a chance to win or have an efficient passing offense, all that sort of stuff doesn't mean it has to be an upgrade for fantasy purposes or for one particular receiver's fantasy purposes. I mean, you know, Josh Gordon had one of the greatest seasons ever back in 2015. It, he was he was getting thrown balls by a whole bunch of dudes who were no longer in the NFL and weren't in the NFL for very long after that. Um, and you don't have to have high-quality quarterback play. You just have to have volume. And I think that was maybe the mistake with Moore's. We should have been a little bit more worried about Baker Mayfield. Will he lock in and unlock production for a wide receiver one? That was... Uh, an unknown or negative going into this. My wide receiver
0: 26 on the week. I, I just think, you know, upside wide receiver twos and better passing games like Thielen, like Allen Robinson, you know, even Rashad Bateman, someone that we talked about being concerned about his usage. Guys, that I would at this point probably have to put ahead of DJ Moore. I will say ever since DJ Moore has been in the league, the Saints haven't viewed him as that number one worthy of having Marshawn Lattimore shadow. So maybe if he avoids that matchup this week, could get back on track the dumpster squad in the AFC South, but they're trying to win. Kevin just ask uh, Arthur Smith. They want to win games. Uh, They just can't win games. And apparently winning games doesn't involve using their uh, number four overall pick from the last draft. So Kyle Pitts, the Falcons, again, it's one of those things where people ask me like, what should I do with Kyle Pitts? And uh, don't sell them at this point. What the hell are you going to get for Kyle Pitts right now? Not much. Everyone sees exactly what you see. Hold tight. It can't get much worse. I'm knocking on wood. I really hope it can't get much worse, Kevin. Uh, no, I literally
1: can't get, I mean, and this like, can't I get, unless he disappears. That's what I was wondering. Like, is he a unicorn because he's just like a figment of all of our imaginations that <laughs> he doesn't actually exist and go to Arthur Smith. Okay. Listen, Arthur Smith and Dean Pease, the defense coordinator has to be the most like cantank- cantankerous crotchety, just uh, guys of all time, they're the worst. I know some people were, were were talking about after week one. Was like, oh, you guys buried us, and they like the fire, and as if it was some new thing. Have you not been paying attention to Arthur Smith? That's what that's all he says at all times. Is he's just he's just bitching at the reporters about not understanding anything, or as as players at everything else. That so the guy is just like. Oh, man, I, 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 it, that would be like the least pleasant, I feel like, building to be in. Just have to deal with those two guys all the time because not a lot of rainbows and smiles and warm vibes coming from them. He's someone I think should be fired. But the only problem is, like, you can't expect him to win with this roster, right? right? So the fact that he's going through two seasons, though, with no expectation of winning is kind of strange. But I don't think he's a possibility of getting fired. But I, I think he probably maybe should get fired, though.
0: Pitts last week, though, 93% snap rate, 91% route rate. The only tight ends that were in, you know, a route more often with their quarterbacks dropbacks were Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. So still got to fire up Pitts. Start him in lineups of all He still looks good out
1: there. He looks good out there. But, you know, tight end one overall or being in the same category of... Andrews and Kelsey, those dreams are over. Yeah. But just, you
0: know, I have seen some slander. Like, Oh, Kyle Pitts being used to block. Uh, come on. Okay. He's running 91%. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, yeah. that
0: part's fine. Now we need him to throw the ball. The one guy that Marcus Marietta is throwing the ball to is Drake London. He's looking good out there, man. Like, I remember yeah. this offseason. Like, where are all those guys with the separation concerns? Uh, you know, I haven't heard a peep of uh, them at this point because Drake London's doing the damn thing. And we haven't even seen him really winning on these big, explosive deep balls that, you know, a lot of times he was being allotted for uh, as a potential contested catch artist. To me, he looks like someone, and I don't want to be accused of the, you know, Jersey scouter, but like when I first watched him, like Michael Pittman was kind of the name that came to mind because I think he does have that ability to win downfield, but he can also separate and get some good things going after the catch. He's an alpha wide receiver one as we've seen Michael Pittman blossom to in his third season. And you could even argue last year as well. So Drake London, man, I've seen all I need to see at this point. He's my wide receiver. 21 ahead of Bateman, Metcalf, A-Rob, Dillon, DJ Moore, among other guys. Are you here for London? Or am I maybe putting a little too much in two week sample size? And maybe we start seeing London and Pitts going back and forth.
1: I mean, I think there'll be a little bit more back and forth. Obviously we're not going to see Pitts, you know, clocking in 19 yards every single week, but I'm with you that London is there. And, you know, he was the first receiver taken in a pretty stacked wide receiver draft. So, okay, we're, we're not at this level yet with the, you know, there's like that that tweet where someone puts out there and there's like, there's always someone on the internet saying like, oh, I thought you said Steph Curry can't shoot or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: so so not it's, the, it's all the straw man bullshit. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're, we're not at that point with the Drake London can't separate thing. But if you type in like Drake London separate into Twitter, you'll get like 400 tweets saying, Oh, I thought (laughs) I heard Drake London can't separate for everyone. That'll say that, that they think they think he he can't separate. So he was the first wide receiver taken. He was highly, highly productive. I don't think he got the same sort of slander as some of these other like second round sort of guys. And he looks great. He looks great out there. So, You're happy you drafted him. You're starting him now every week. Will he continue to have, you know, 70 plus yards week in and week out? No, but he's going to be a useful guy.
0: I think it just came down to some people misinterpreting like a high contested target rate means that he can't separate, and I it's just they're two separate things. Like the contested target is coming when the ball is there, and the ability to separate. Ideally, you know, he drew the target because he was his his ability to separate in the first place. I always go back to this play against the Falcons last year, where Terry McLaurin put the cornerback in the dirt, like the dude was on the ground. Terry's got ten yards of separation, waving his arms in the back of the end zone. Heineke does Heineke things, finally avoids pressure and throws a touchdown, but end up being a contested target because by the time the ball got there the uh, defender had gotten back up so good stuff from drake london final note here is just cordero patterson last week blowout usage still was the number one running back by far in snaps i'm still going back to well with him as a low so we end need a special RG2. section
1: of the pod just for c every week <laughs> I mean, this is relevant. This is relevant. But just in case, if you want to just expound a little bit more on like the journey you've been on or anything else, you know, I'll give you that time if you need it.
0: I I will just say thank you, Kevin, first of all. But uh, it was disappointing to see like without Damian Williams in there, they didn't give CPAT like this true workhorse 80-90% role. It was, you know, a blowout until kind of the end. So maybe that has something to do with it. But ceiling is capped just a little bit because for some reason, you know, we got to get I understand Tyler Algier working on early downs, but Caleb Huntley, Avery Williams, guys that I'm sure a lot of you didn't even know existed until now. Got to get them involved as well. So CPAC, good, not great option at this point as your RB2. Let's talk some NFC West now. The first place Cardinals. How about that in a division full of one-on-one squads? really you know i don't want to say lucky to get the win last week they found a way to get it done but it was a little bit lucky out there i mean kevin you can you... say lucky you can okay. say lucky That's... i'll go ahead and, i'll go ahead and just <laughs> say lucky have you ever seen like a true one-man offense like this kyler murray thing And i know lamar jackson's put the team on his back and stuff but i just mean like kyler literally seems to get the ball and who knows? Like he said, apparently the film thing, like I don't want to, we don't need to rehash that thing. But if there ever was a quarterback that could get by without watching film, without even knowing what the play was, it seems like it's Collar. Kind of, the guy doesn't get tired. He just runs around until the defense gets tired and it seems to work out. And this happens time and time again. It's incredible what he's been able to do in the second halves of these games. The problem, as you kind of alluded to at Cliff Kingsbury is, it's not great if this is your offense. So do you think the Cardinals are going to be able to kind of sustain or sustain what they've been able to do, which is come back in the second half of games after looking freaking terrible in the first 30 minutes?
1: Yeah, I think if you're the Cardinals, the the upside for you is you say, we've been bad. We have to admit, we've not been good. We have not been good this season. Yet, as you mentioned, you look up and you're one and one after having, you know, played a couple of games that were not like, they were wasn't like they played the the Texans and the Jaguars like like some other teams you know they played some games where you probably thought you were not going to win both of these games anyway so then you you have that record you lost to the Chiefs and you beat the Raiders that's great you know that's not a bad start for this team so you got to hope things can go can 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 do well going forward um when Murray has been healthy they have been able to keep up having a good functional offense when it hasn't looked like a normal functional offense. The thing with me is I just don't know how much of that is Kyler Murray. Like even if you brought in some sort of offensive genius, let's say he might just end up doing that stuff. He might, you might just get a lot of that stuff anyway from, from what he's doing. So the Deandre Hopkins thing that still has not been answered. We still haven't seen anything of him being able to have something a little bit more functional without Hopkins. There Christian Kirk is sneaky. Uh, Difficult to get over. He was actually one of the bigger differences last year. If you looked at it down the field passing, that was the upside for that's what was unlocked on that offense. That was all Christian Kirk. And I think we're getting evidence now that Christian Kirk is maybe good, right. With what he's doing for Jacksonville. So that's the problem is they just don't have anyone. We're talking about Greg Dortch in there, you know, Rondell Moore, uh, who who knows if he'll ever play uh, again. So that, I think that's really the problem is they need, if they can float out, maybe being three and three and then get Hopkins back, they have a chance, but, I'm not expecting big things from this offense, other than Kyler Murray getting some rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. If you have him in fantasy,
0: Kyler, again, we're starting him each and every week. I got a Kyler yes. Murray versus Jalen Hurts start sit question. It's like, okay, I mean, Jalen Hurts, but like, why, why is it between those two? How the hell did you end up in like a non-super flex league with those two guys on your team? But hey, kudos, I guess, uh, to having a good question at this point. I will say, uh, with this, you know, being a matchup here against the Rams in Los Angeles Rams, three and a half point favorites, game total. At 49. Just, I I remembered that playoff game and how ugly it was last year. And it really was, you know, Kyler 137 yards passing, two picks, only had the six rushing yards. It's not like the Rams have just been this kryptonite where you can't start him against them. I mean, when they faced off in week 14 last year, even post-injury Kyler, man, 383 passing yards, another 61 rushing yards. When they faced earlier in the season, I mean, the Cardinals blew him out, 37 to 20. Kyler was able to pick up, you know, 268 passing yards and two touchdowns. So another one of those things where don't, just because you remember that terrible playoff game, don't overweight a matchup, still go back to the well. Kyler, Hollywood Brown, Zach Ertz should all be in the majority of fantasy lineups. Keep an eye on James Conner. He is considered day-to-day. I believe he was able to get out there and practice on Wednesday. So I would expect him to suit up, maybe slightly less role than usual. Unfortunately, I don't think any of Eno Benjamin or Daryl Williams need to even really be rostered in most leagues. At this point, should be a pretty straight committee if something does happen to Conner more severe down the road. Again, more info on The waiver Wire in the weekly Tuesday pod with
1: Nathan Yankee. You know, it's a funny thing. Uh, just a quick note yeah. of uh, a thing I looked up the other day. You know, Zach Ertz is like maybe even more than a busy. He's, he's like one year younger than Travis Kelsey. Like oh. I, think, I think of him being like 10 years older as far as how we think about him out on, out on the football field. But a dude's usable dude is usable. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of shocking to me. And one other thing about this Rams matchup, we still don't know who the Rams are this year, right? Blown out against the bills Too much of a game against the Falcons, right? Way too much of a game against the Falcons. So they probably are good, but we don't know yet. So that's some hope also for the the Cardinals and for the offense is that that defense maybe isn't going to come together the same way you were hoping. No Von Miller, all that stuff.
0: With Matthew Stafford, now moving on to the one and one Rams here, again, facing the Cardinals this week. That game's actually in uh, Arizona. Excuse me, I said it was Los Angeles before. But I mentioned before, uh, Jameis Winston, top-five quarterback in big-time throw rate, bottom-five quarterback in turnover-worthy play rate. Matthew Stafford's right there with him, man. I mean, Matthew Stafford looks like he wants to – I don't know if he took something personally against Jameis, but like the pace stats he's on right now – The dude's on pace to throw 36 touchdowns and 43 interceptions, and I absolutely love it. Like, come on, man. This is red zone glory right now. Had some, I mean, to me, I was concerned about the arm after week one because it looked like only Cooper Cup was going to be able to get yardage in this offense, but found Allen Robinson for a touchdown. A-Rob should have had a second touchdown. Like the injury guy literally called down the field because A.J. Terrell was hobbled. So none of the players heard the whistle. He threw another touchdown to A-Rob, and the play didn't count. So just keep that in mind. I'm not, you know, completely out on Allen Robinson. And Stafford have one of those sidearm throws that everyone goes bonkers about when Mahomes does it. Unfortunately, it bounced right off Tyler Higby's chest. So with this Rams offense, Kevin, again, they looked atrocious in Week One. I will say that Falcons game. I mean, punt blocked for a touchdown. I mean, Cooper Cup had a fumble. I thought, you know, it was a bit more dominant than the final score indicated. Oh, yeah, but in this offense, beyond Cooper Cup, who we know is going to get hundred yards and a touchdown or two, seemingly every week are you feeling confident enough in Alan Robinson and Tyler Higbee and their usage? Because the backfield, like we can't trust anything right now with the way they're going back and forth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. can't trust anything in the backfield. And I, if you have Higbee or you have Robinson, I mean, you're probably starting them, right? I'm fine. You know, they're fine. Right. It's just Cooper Cup. your, your, your thought process was, you know, maybe Cooper cup won't be just this other dominant sort of player that he was last year. And So much. Uh, Then then we have some upside. Uh, Well, he is. Sorry. (laughs) He's still the same guy. So that's done. And yeah, the Stafford and the arm, the arm concerns. My thing was during the offseason when I was hearing about this is I have seen stories about arm fatigue at least a dozen times to 20 times, but I cannot remember one time in NFL when I've been watching the NFL, we're midway through the season. It's like this is actually a thing that's bothering some quarterback. You just don't throw it as much during practice, and you're still fine during the game. You only have to throw the ball, you know, 30 times. Like they can throw the ball 30 times during one day, no matter how fatigued your arm is.
0: Yeah, like maybe some shoulder problems. I remember like watching Cam have to come off the field. Yeah, and shoulder, like some neck,
1: back. Those are real. Those are real sorts of problems that'll 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 have an issue. And I know that it was a little bit of the shoulder thing, but he seems like he's fine.
0: Absolutely. Not worried about that, you know, moving forward just in terms of his or Cooper Cooper Robinson's performance. Once again, though, yeah, running back, swinging back. told you guys don't panic. Don't rage drop Cam Akers or anything because worst case, he was going to be a handcuff. Maybe it's a situation now where by week three, week four, he has the sort of usage uh, that we're hoping for. For now, stay away though. I'm going to be answering the overwhelming majority of start sick questions involving Henderson or Akers with the other guy. If it's at all close Two more squads here, Seattle Seahawks, one and one Where does Geno rank among quarterbacks on earth though, Kevin? Is he top 30? Top 35? Because I do think with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett coming off a 100-yard game, DK would have been pretty close himself. And He had that incredible one-handed catch downfield. It got nullified on the illegal contact penalty. We drafted these guys as if Geno was the worst quarterback on earth. And I'm not convinced that he's like any worse than the Davis Mills, Baker Mayfields, you know, maybe even once Carson Wentz could comes back to earth a little bit, these guys. And if that's the case, I think we're going to see more game scripts like last week moving forward where we look up and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are flirting with 10 targets each and every week. So they haven't scored yet. I mean, Tyler Lockett got 100 yards and people just didn't even care. Do you think Metcalf and Lockett could be by low candidates or is the answer to Seattle Seahawks offense just no?
1: It's not it's somewhere in between, I guess. I don't know if I, if I think by low candidates, it depends on what low is going to be. I don't know if you're going to get someone like Metcalf Uh, you know pry that out of out of someone's hands for what would be an appropriate compensation the problem with Gino so far and this is not something I necessarily thought we'd see coming into this is that he's been pretty conservative you know it's just like he hasn't been playing poorly but his you know, the, the way that he's been playing here, his a dot is at 5.2 right now. It's just extremely low. And you mentioned there's a lot of targets. Yeah, there are a lot of targets, but damn it's going off at the point in six quarters, right? So you're just not getting what you were hoping to get as far as those explosive plays and the potential for that. Will that change going forward? I'm not sure. I mean, he might be thinking this is the best way for him to operate. And keep his job and not be benched for Drew Locke is to kind of not do anything wrong. So he's not doing anything wrong. He's showing competence at the position, but he's not showing that he's good. He's a good quarterback in any sort of way. And he hasn't really shown he's necessarily good for fantasy either. So for that reason, I'm not really buying on these guys yet
0: fully out on this backfield. Never forget the Seahawks. used the 41st overall pick to get Kenneth Walker, gave him the third amount of snaps uh, in the Seattle Seahawks backfield in week two. I know he was banged up coming into the game, but what are we expecting to change here? Is Rashad Penny just going to get zero touches moving forward? Because we heard the whole entire offseason that Seattle still views him as a starter and they backed that up in these first two weeks. And oh yeah, Rashad Penny didn't work the most last week. That was actually Travis Homer because anytime you can get Travis Homer, on the field on pass downs you just got to do it and lo and behold we also got to you know let dj dallas throw passes uh into the end zone dwayne and i were joking on the uh, sunday night pod, kevin dj dallas throws that pick and had the audacity like to try to tell metcalf like he ran the wrong route like get get the hell out of here man <laughs> like they, they they give dj dallas like one or two snaps a game on offense it's like the jamal agnew in seattle like just just spare me please four running backs in seattle uh i'm remain pissed off but at home yeah yeah travis
1: yeah. homer or- is just the enemy unfortunately for him i'm sure he's a nice guy but he's just for fantasy football purposes i'm not sure and then what will happen i mean i i think they eventually should turn over more and more to walker i think he's 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 the guy that i mean they draft in the freaking second round but it's probably not going to be for the next week or two and that just simplifies any thought of of starting someone from this backfield
0: well, and here's the thing. We said before, Dave Montgomery, three-point favorites at home against the Texans. If you're not starting this week, when are you going to? The Seahawks are two-point home favorites against the Falcons. I don't want to start Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker. Do you?
1: No, no. Yeah. I mean, well, hopefully you draft you drafted a couple of other guys earlier yes. to who you can start. So, yeah.
0: For, for the love of God, uh, there probably yeah. are some sad zero-R beers out there that are just, uh, <laughs> you know, pouring another glass of whiskey as we say that. Final team here, the San Francisco 49ers, one and one I hate to say this, man. Are the 49ers both real life and the fantasy upside of every skill position player in this offense objectively better off with Jimmy Garoppolo under center?
1: Yeah, I I think they are. And I don't think it's really a question. The question would be: like, is their ceiling outcome like Super Bowl? Even their Super Bowl odds, though, I think actually improve. So maybe it's just like, is their ability to win, you know, become this kind of like super dominant Super Bowl champion type of team? That may have gone down, but median income, maybe even one standard deviation above that sort of outcome is better with, with Jimmy there. I don't think there's really a way to argue it. And I think what was interesting is you saw him using the field a little bit more on the outsides and down the field. So not doing that in the past, I think has been partially a function of Debo Samuel and George Kittle, just not being those guys, partially a function of the arm injuries he's had. So he was doing that a bit more. He's not great at it, but he was at least trying to throw the ball down into some of those areas, which is going to be good for Brandon. Ayuk, and I think it would just be good for that offense generally
0: historically dual threat quarterbacks, extreme dual threat quarterbacks. They're bad for the offense in general, really. Yes. And yeah, you'll see, you know, some guys pop off here and there, but just when you take the large sample and look at it as a whole, yeah, like you're usually seeing, I think I, I, when I did the study this summer. I want to say the wide receiver one, like the medium was like around 26 or wide receiver 30 and the running back was about the same. So man, Jeff Wilson, someone that on the waiver wire after week one, I think an appropriate kind of 20, 25% fab addition. If he was on the waiver wire this week, man, I think you could start to argue like the 40, 50% that Elijah Mitchell was going for last year, because Look at all the good things that have gone right for Jeff Wilson so far. Elijah Mitchell IR out for seemingly like eight weeks now. Tyrion Davis Price has a high ankle sprain. I know everyone, you know, everyone's been a fan of Mason. They're freaking undrafted free or whatever the hell he was drafted, sixth round or whatever. Everyone's been, you know, a lifelong fan of him forever. Still hasn't played an offensive snap uh, this season, and now we take Trey Lance out of the picture as well. Some of those goal line touches for them. Jeff Wilson had twenty touches last week. And I don't know if that's really going to be going down here, Kevin. Like when I was going through the ranks, I got Jeff Wilson running back 19. And I just think once you, maybe you don't think of him that way, but again, once I think you actually start ranking these players, you find that you get to a point where it's like Wilson versus guys like CPAC, Kareem Hunt, Ramondre, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Even if you're not exactly sold on Jeff Wilson, the talent, you should be sold on Kyle Shanahan's ability to produce whatever running back is going to be there. And I think he's going to have the touches to do it, man.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, sometimes what will happen for these running backs is, like, they can't carve out that role um, if the, number, one, if it's a fullback field, obviously. Sometimes even if there's another option. So he's one of these guys where there's another kind of credible option, and at that point it was their third-round pick. It was, you know, TDP was their other guy. And it was a little bit disappointing, right, to see Jeff Wilson didn't just – explode as far as his usage well not that you thought he was going to be off the charts but you thought it was going to be significantly better maybe than, than what it was now with him gone yeah you're right they can turn they can throw another body in there right but we may have hit that point we may have hit that tipping point where they say you know what let's just give this guy the lion's share of both different roles there and if we do that's a big deal
0: yeah and look this offense is unique in terms of their ability to also have Debo Samuel in the backfield and like last year when some guys got hurt and it was finally Trey Sermon week and oh look Kyle Juszczyk is actually their pass down back so if something now does happen to Jeff Wilson you know I don't think that Jordan Mason is a complete lock to take over they also did elevate Marlon Mack from the practice squad but at least as far as week three is concerned man again Jeff Wilson I think you're gonna be hard pressed to need you know too many more fingers after a hand or two to, you know, count the number of running backs probably expected to see more work than Jeff Wilson. So as a favorite, you know, in Denver this week, I do think that Jeff Wilson should be in the majority of starting lineups. Final point here, Kevin, because obviously we're starting Debo Samuel If George Kittle's healthy enough to suit up. He's out there, but yeah, Brandon Ayuk, another just winner kind of going from, uh Trey Lance to Jimmy G I have Ayuk ranked wide receiver 40 right now ahead of guys like Alave Burks Woods Tyler Boyd I think that's about right or should we all of a sudden kind of get back on the train where Ayuk I thought um some of those stats from last year in the second half people were being a little bit dicks about it they were using the totals where Ayuk had two extra games in the period compared to other guys but he was an upside wide receiver three at a minimum down the stretch of last season do you think we'll get back to seeing that more weeks than that
1: yeah, I think he's a wide receiver three. I mean, upside or not, I'm not quite sure about. Without Kittle there, uh, that helps, right? Yeah. If Kittle's not going to play, uh, that probably does put him into that category. He's not a he's not a wide receiver two, and I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver two this yeah. year unless Debo gets injured. But you can put him into lineups, especially if you're playing. You know, playing PPR, you're playing three wide receivers, you're playing flex, you're playing whatever, you're putting him in there.
0: Yeah, and just Debo keeps on keeping on that. Yeah. Just he's a he's the best running back in the league. Basically, I don't know how to explain it, man. These aren't fluky touches, and uh, I did I did want to note like it's I saw Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins do this where they're not actually handing it off like in shotgun. They're not handing it off in front. He's turning and handing it off behind him. And I asked the uh, PFF Seth Galina, who's just Super sharp with all the actual, you know, football stuff out there. And I asked him why. And Seth's response was that it kind of helps the players get downhill more in shotgun, where normally they're kind of moving laterally uh, when you're kind of doing the handoff in front. So just seeing Debo do that, man. But like, historically wide receivers like that's why you see Tavon Austin average you know seven eight yards per carry throughout his career because when they are getting rush attempts like it's this scheme play it's a trick play they're getting a double reverse and there's no defender there Debo Samuel is putting up the best rush rushing efficiency numbers in the league being used as a true running back and as much as I want to sit here and say it can't continue my god Kevin it, it is so far
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it went down a bit, but that was in a game where they didn't need him to do that. Um, so that would be my only question. My only question is like week one, was it just one of those gross games where they said, you know what, we really need to use him in the backfield because we are not going to score. Otherwise, basically, if we do not do that. So it'll be more interesting to see in the next couple of weeks, we'll get some more sample as to in a normal sort of game where they don't feel compelled to need him in the backfield, whether they will or not. I don't think his usage in the backfield is going to be as dependent on other running backs who are available as some people think. Some people seem to think like, oh, a running back gets injured, so then you shift X percent over to Debo. I don't think that's true. I think it's more of game plan specific, whether they need to spark or not in that particular game. You, you, you saw a, a downtick in his usage last week with a running back injury, so I, I wouldn't put too much into you know another injury, so therefore Debo will step in sort of thing.
0: Going to wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Great stuff, Kevin, at Kevin Cole, PFF. Everyone can find you on Twitter, host of the Unexpected Points Podcast. Let the folks know what else you got on PFF.com this week.
1: Yeah, we got uh, rankings, quarterback rankings, based upon some different modeling of grades and EPA per play. We got all the showdown content for the single game contest for Island Games at DraftKings. And then we also have some ceilings and stack plays based upon different analysis I do looking at similar historical games. So all that stuff will be out uh, the rest of this week
0: great day to be great as always you can find my positional previews on pff.com the sheesh report and i even got some injury notes up at the end of the week lest i forget though sleeper of the day i'm gonna name kyle pitts the sleeper of the day how sad is that talking about kyle pitts as a sleeper at this point but i think he shuts wake up up. kyle
1: pitts wake Wake up up. wake
0: up up. I already checked, guys. Unfortunately, the Falcons did not have an international game this year, so I don't think he's going to get the London bounce back like we saw last season. With that said, still too damn good to go this long, at least without some yards, man. Like even if we give up on the touchdown pipe dream, just give us some yards, Kyle Pitts. Arthur Smith, do this one for us, please. Probably won't happen, but you could imagine. For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.